Welcome to episode 515 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Thursday, January 11th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, joined by Eno Saris. Eno, what's going on? It's a good description of the hot stove, the freezing <laughs> cold stove, by the way, I should mention. Producer I Justin brought a May. whole Garrett Cole piece. I, I know you did, and I, I, I got to tell my stream about that because uh, we were talking about uh, – you know, LOL at those suckers who wrote Garrett Cole pieces. I was like, Eno was one of those guys. He had he had the whole. And it's a Garrett. lovely, very specific title. Houston is the best place for Garrett Cole to go. <laughs> oh, so you're praying for that trade to come through? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the that's like the tough part, right? You know, um, of of the business of of kind of being on the breaking news and and writing things quick and seeing something that looks like it's done and then it's then it's not. And that's exactly what happened the other day. Well, actually, we'll, we can go ahead and start with that and, and the rumors surrounding it because of the way uh, the way it went yesterday. Where it looked like Garrett Cole was traded to Houston, and we're finally getting some hot stove news. And maybe that's part of it, too. I wonder, you know, you could speak for yourself, but I, I think you would have done the same thing where you're going to kind of jump on it when it looks like it's finalized, so that you're ahead of it, that you guys can release it right off the top on the front page. But I wonder if the super slow winter made it like, Okay, we desperately want this to be good, so we're just gonna go with it as soon as it feels like it's almost done. Garrett Cole to Houston, here we go. So you wrote that up. Lunau says, "Relax." Doesn't mean the deal's dead, but but what 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 do you see on the Garrett Cole situation right now? I think there's a decent amount of smoke there. I mean, Ken Rosenthal is is the bomb. He's the best, and he doesn't usually get it wrong. And I'm sure he did have someone that told him that, you know. And I and I think that means that they were far along it doesn't mean that they had it done and it doesn't mean it is going to be done but i think that houston or new york i think that it really looks like pittsburgh is going to sell there's not a lot of teams selling right now so i think that um pittsburgh is going to sell they're going to sell andrew mccutcheon i don't know if there's much of a market for josh harrison but maybe josh harrison and uh they're going to sell garrett cole and it'll go to the retool, though. I think maybe sell both of those guys in more of a retool as opposed to a full rebuild, because they still have pieces that make up a, a core with with a Marte, with a Polanco, um, Jameson Tyon. They like Tyler Glass now. I'm not as as sold. Yeah, They've I'm just not sure that there's like up. a bevy of positional prospects that are close to that's, the major that's league. Probably, so. That's the issue. That's what they would need to get out of these deals. Wasn't Derek Fisher one of the highly rumored? guys in a Garrett Cole swap. I don't know if we ever saw any names, but but I, I thought Derek Fisher was one of the ones rumored outfielder for Houston definitely, going back. Yeah, I think definitely getting a position player back that's either in the bigs or close is you know, is uh, is is what they're looking for. I mean, that's what most people are looking for, but uh, and the reason that I think, not to spoil my piece before it comes out, but I think the reason that Garrett Cole going to Houston is interesting is because his slider and curve are good. His changeup is okay. And he throws his four seam a lot, and it's kind of straight. And even though it's really fast, an, it's annoying because it's, it's kind it's, of straight. It's straight as an arrow and not as good pooped. as it should be. Yeah, it gets pooped on. So, yep. Um, so I, I think, you know, uh, Houston is a really interesting place for him to go because Houston has has thrown like the fewest four seamers you know to you know among the fewest four seamers in baseball since we've had pitch fx well and cole himself dropped from 67 percent to 60 percent. so maybe he's even seeing like 
yo, maybe I got to start folding in these secondaries. He's got three legit secondaries, all of which he used at least 11% in 2017. If they amplify that even more and get him more on like a 50% fastball mix, maybe that will uh, not only make the fastball better, but more of the quality slider curveball changeup. Maybe we finally start to see the Garrett Cole that, that a lot of people have been preying on now. We saw uh, that, for, you know, we saw years. that 2015 version, and, and there's other things that happened in 2015. Like, that was the year his changeup had the best movement it's ever had. It was also the year that he threw the slider the most. So, yeah, I think I think the, 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 the thing that's magic about 50% is something that Dan Straley once said to me, which is that he wants he wants to basically be 30-30-30 or whatever, 25-25-25 in every count. And he, he wants to be as unpredictable as he can be. Yes, yeah, so there's multiple weapons. They don't know what's coming. That you, you start to get out of like automatic fastball counts and stuff outside of the 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 real automatics like three zero. You're probably gonna pipe one down, but like you know one one two one one two, all these sorts of different counts. If you uh, are coming with mixed patterns, you're obviously gonna be a lot less uh, predictable. And the fastball, I think, is where Cole ends up getting in trouble when he just gets behind an account and pipes one in or even gets ahead in counts. I've seen him and just keep utilizing the fastball and it doesn't really work. And so he gets himself out of good counts into into base hits based on that straight 96-mile-per-hour fastball. And they have this weird philosophy in Pittsburgh. I don't know if it's weird. They have this philosophy in Pittsburgh that is you start with your four-seam. Everyone starts with the four-seam. And it's all about command, and you repeat and you repeat and you repeat, and the four seam has easy, easily repeatable mechanics, and so it's all about building that command. And then there's account after account of, oh, you're in the big leagues now, you've shown that you have command, you know, now you can throw a two seamer. That was a, a big thing for Tyon. He said, you know, I couldn't throw this two seamer in the minors, and now I've got it. So, you know, for whatever reason. You know, Cole has kind of stayed with like three four seamers to every one two seamer, but his four seamer is is straight, and his two seamer is actually decent. He's also got a low spin four seamer. So, you know, if you if you're talking to a guy who has a low spin high velocity four seamer, that's that's somebody you'd say, well, have you tried throwing more two seamers? And he doesn't um, really lose a lot of velo, if any. On he doesn't. He he's actually higher relative to the league. On 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 sinker velocity because uh, because of that because he's basically 96 he's like 96.4 on the four seamer or 96.1 on the on the two seamer so yeah two seamer sinker interchangeable for for folks right. generally speaking uh, with, with a lot of guys uh, so if you hear us kind of bounce between those two things we're talking about the same pitch so I would see a big increase in sinkers and curves because you know the slider's good but if he increases the sinkers and the curves then he's really kind of 25 25 25 and that's without you know, any improvement in the changeup, you know, and he's got a high spin curve and they, they, they love the high spin curves there. That's Charlie Morton. That's Colin McHugh. And, um, and so, you know, and McCullers. Yeah. So I feel like they are, you know, you know, New York is interesting too, because New York also has this idea. They also have threw fewer fastballs than anybody at all last year overall. So they, they'll come with the same idea to, to, to him, but, there's did, something did you, about that package that that just screams to me, Houston. Did you investigate anything on on the home run rate that Garrett Cole had? It was a big spike up to 1.4, uh, something we'd never seen before. Homers were not only not an issue for Garrett Cole, but they were a strength. Home run suppression was a strength for him. Never higher than 0. 0.7. 
uh, in his four previous seasons, usually usually kept low homer to fly ball rates too. This year it spiked up, or this past season, I should say, it spiked up to 16% on the homer to fly ball ratio and yielded a 1.4 homer per nine. Uh, despite, you know, not not severe changes, not seeing any severe changes in his batted ball profile. He did allow a few more fly balls, but going 29% to 34%, you wouldn't think it would yield that many more home runs, but that homer to fly ball ratio ticked up. I wonder if it was the fastball. Did you see anything on Garrett Cole's home run rate that has you uh, either concerned going forward or uh, pleased that maybe it'll come back to, to earth after a big uh, 2017? Yeah, it's weird. I mean, there's no one pitch that really stands out. The sinker and the change gave up more homers. Um, oh, that's over his career. No, in last year. And um, the sinker, that's interesting. Oh, I see. I, I think I think I see what happened here a little bit. So he was kind of three to one four-seamer sinker in, in 2016. And uh, his sinker had fewer home runs than his four seam. And then uh, last year, he uh, threw more sinkers and was closer to closer to two to one and gave up more homers. So, uh, you know, maybe a sinker isn't that great. Maybe there's more to figure out here, but it does get a good ground ball rate and it does have more movement than his four seam. Um, and I do think that getting closer to to an even mix will will be good for him. So I I don't really know, you know, his his sinker rate, you know, they they swung a lot more at it. So maybe there was something they were spotting about it. Um, I don't think that there's a, a super easy answer, but I do think you know evening out his mix will be good for him. Yes, that that's Garrett Cole there, and and his home run issue and his potential uh, benefits of maybe going to Houston. We'll see how oh. that plays out. Oh, and here's another thing. So, yes, uh, going from uh, a pitcher's park and the NL to Houston would be bad for fantasy, since but, we are a fantasy uh, podcast. But maybe. There, did you see this interesting thing? Um, About the strikeouts? No, Todd Zola just did a simple, just a simple split. New uh, National League last year, National League and American League, ERA and WHIP. No difference. You know, someone's been writing about that before, about how the the difference in the leagues has been been lowered. Well, I I think I think if if that is true, what it means is that the American League has better players, or at least better pitchers, because you know all things being equal, if you get a free out, you should have a yeah. better lower ERA. <laughs> well, and that's what made it so interesting. What, but. And I was re- referring to myself there uh, in a in a ham-handed way of saying <laughs> that in past, in, even in other years recently, I've noticed that the split between AL and NL has lowered. And I think that um, I didn't really investigate it further beyond that to to dig down. I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense, though, that the AL pitchers, they would have to be a higher caliber, generally speaking, just for that one reason that you're saying. You cannot ignore having the free out of the pitcher or even the pinch hitters are generally worse than than a DH. So so substantial gains there just for that one out every time through. Um, but that alone seems to be the difference. Other than that, that we're not seeing that the NL is inherently easier. And I do think that Minute Maid is an underrated uh, pitcher's park. It doesn't get the the credit that, that it deserves. And one of the things that came out um, from Derek Cardi, and I think also Todd Zola mentioned it, it was how strikeouts actually go up in Houston versus PNC. 
Mm. And it was like, well, and if you pair that with, you know, some pitching mix change, coaching change, if all of a sudden he's getting a strikeout per inning, you know, and, and getting closer to the 25% strikeout rate that he's sort of inched towards in the past. Exactly. Then he's like a different pitcher, you know, and then maybe, you know, maybe he he's maybe he's not. Maybe if he stayed in Pittsburgh and made those changes, he'd be like a 3-3 ERA guy. Totally possible because he was a 2-6 ERA guy and his career ERA is 350. Um, but uh, you know, maybe in Houston he's more like a 3-5. You know, his projections are not for 3-5. So if you think he can make have a 3-5 ERA because of these potential changes, uh, then if you can buy him at his projections, which are for 3.90 ERA, uh, pretty close to league average. Um, and you know, then, then I think, um, you basically what I'm saying is draft him as a, as a third pitcher and, uh, you might have a potential one or two on your hands. Yeah. That could be great with Garrett Cole. If you can get him as a third, you'd have to be drafting pitching early though, because he is, he still does get a lot of love in the market. Um, I, I think a lot of people still see the upside with Garrett Cole and they, and they want to jump in on it. By the way, for those that might be wondering, like, how does a ballpark, affect strikeouts. Derek Carty answered that um, uh, later in the in the Twitter thread and said, there's lots of different ways. Biggest one is altitude. PNC has one of the higher altitudes in the MLB. Also, follow ground, follow ground, atmospheric effects, ball mudding, batter, uh, background slash batter's eye, changes in approach based on fence, fence dif- distance, etc. So there's a lot of different little factors that maybe you don't think about how a park can influence strikeouts, right? Because think- we're always thinking about homers right off the top homers and hits like how is the park going to affect and that makes sense but there are also these aspects that can inf- uh, affect walks and strikeouts that are worth noting and minute made boosts strikeouts so maybe he's not going to lose the the Cole coming over wouldn't lose the strikeouts of not facing the pitcher because he would gain some in minute made plus that's even before the factors that you're talking about where Houston could alter Garrett Cole and make him better um, by tweaking his pitch mix yeah you know, a story along those lines I was talking to Justin Upton about going to San Diego. And I said, well, aren't you worried about hitting homers here? He said, no, no, I, I can hit homers anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, yeah, yeah. that reminds me of what Bobby Evans said, that he just said he'd never heard, for, he's only once heard from a hitter that he didn't want to hit an at t park because he said they're all very competitive people and they want to, all want to think they can hit anywhere. That's the thing. They're not, and, and a lot of players are not as in the weeds on this stuff on, on like park factors and stuff. So they're like, no, I, I, I can mash there. These yeah. losers before me can't because yeah. they're clowns. I'm going well, over there and I'm about to drop 40 bombs. And it's like, no, no, you're not, dude. You're going to hit eight. Brandon Belt, relax. You're going to yeah, hit so, eight. So I said, well, you know, so what does matter when it comes to a park? And he said, if I can see the ball, I can see the ball here in San Diego. And I said, oh, well, batter's eye. Uh, where can't you see the ball? He said San Francisco. And, well, there you go. Yeah, and he, and I think that batters might say that batter's eye is a major component of strikeout rates. And, you know, what what Justin Upton oh, pointed out was that there had these metal bleachers in San in San Francisco that sit in center field, and bef- you know bleachers fill last when it comes to people. Even with sold out AT and T, the bleachers are you know people who pay less and are getting food and you know like you know they're, they're definitely they're, stoned. So they're not, <laughs> they're not, they're the not getting there immediately. People, so they, so they're, they come late. And what happens is in the first inning, uh, those metal bleacher seats, they don't they did they didn't paint them anything. Those sort of, you know, white metal bleacher seats reflect the sun because the sun is setting behind the park. And the 
and the, the sun goes right to those bleacher seats and reflects right into the batter's eyes. And uh, I actually looked at it, and lo and behold, San Francisco, uh, their opponents uh, score less in the first half inning than any opponents in any other ballpark. And it's usually the most, uh, the highest scoring inning for a yeah. multitude of reasons, with with pitchers warming up, the your uh, best players getting a chance to bat. Generally speaking, right, you're going to put your best yeah, guys. It's one the of the highest scoring games. So, like, relative to the league, they have a real sort of home field advantage there because of the the sun blinding opponents. That's interesting. Eyes. By the way, uh, furthering my point about how the riffraff is out in the bleachers, Justin Mason, our producer, uh, texts us that he loves the bleachers. Right. So, <laughs> case made. I, I, I rest my case. The defense rests. I think we're going to get a conviction on this one. The bleachers are for the riffraff. Uh, let's move over to Andrew McCutcheon. All also in some rumors uh, now recently with the Giants. So we're, we're, we're on our segues today. Boys, get your helmets on. We're segueing over here to, to continue to talk about the Giants, but also with Andrew McCutcheon. And as a beleaguered Giants fan, remember when you got uh, Giants fans' hopes up saying, hey, not only might you get Otani or Stanton, you could get both. Well, they got a mean guy. Now, I... I it's, it was terrible. You ruined the holidays for San Francisco <laughs> fans. Well, now they're 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 scrapping along, and they don't know what the heck they're going to be getting. And Justin wonders aloud, like, why the hell are we even trying to talk about getting Andrew McCutcheon? And I think that's a fair question, because either you pony up the money for Lorenzo Cain, or you just start to dip in the lower end of the market and get like a Carlos Gomez or a Carlos Gonzalez. We were talking about guys like that. But they apparently remain in talks for Andrew McCutcheon. What do you think about that, Eno? I mean, I think what they're they're stuck in a couple of ways. So first of all, they're projected to have the worst outfield in baseball last year, n- next year after having the worst baseball outfield, uh, worst outfield in baseball last year. And, and how last many wins year, is that? What, what is that? Last doing? year was like zero wins. <laughs> Sweet. And uh, next year, there there's a big bounce back from the 35 year old outfield at right fielder Hunter Pence. They're gonna they're gonna uh, predict project him into one and a half wins, Ooh, uh, no. and because the rest of the outfield is below replacement, uh, they're gonna put one point four wins together as an Ooh. entire outfield unit, worst in baseball by a full win below the Royals, and so that's a major need, and it's also not a one position need, it's two, it's uh, a center fielder and a left fielder, and For sure. On top of that, they have a power need that they've always had, but has been exacerbated by the fact that the league now is everyone's hitting home runs and and the Giants aren't. So I think they want to go out there and they want to improve power and they want to improve two positions and they don't want to go over the luxury tax. So they have $12 million and they have no prospects, so they can't really trade for anybody. So how do you do all those things? I mean, without, I without giving like here, they, they've got they've got a little group of really good prospects and that's it but you don't want to trade any of those for andrew mccutcheon no offense to andrew mccutcheon but like i i mean i think they know. really have one prospect i think helio Ramos, Ramos yeah. uh, was their pick last year he looks like he's very toolsy but he's also like 18 so he's a couple years away mm-hmm. um and it's i don't away their best prospect he's but and then i think every below i would trade so if it's tyler Beatty, um you know chris shaw people are in disagreement about and maybe he's the replacement for Brandon Belt later. But a first base prospect, the bar is so high to be an actual prospect at first base. Well, and how is it going to come through in, in San Francisco? I mean, speaking of Belt, look at how his power is muted. Uh, you know, he's kind of held back by that ballpark. 
Chris Shaw would probably face a yeah. similar uphill battle. Yeah. And are they going to trade belt and does pay belt have trade value on the current contract? I mean, I, if it took Shaw and Beatty, um, that might be too much in some guys' eyes. I mean, th- there's there's only one top 100 prospect in that, and that's Shaw. So I actually think that they would do Sean Beatty uh, for McCutcheon. I don't think that it would get it would really hurt the organization that much long term. They'd still have their best prospect. They'd still have the worst farm system in baseball, and um, and I think that uh, unless they wanted to hold on to that in case they were good this year and needed to have a midseason trade uh, trade well, chip, but wouldn't it like? Isn't it just much smarter to just get like I'm looking at what Carlos Gomez did last year. By the way, he wasn't terrible. Why wouldn't you just pay him even you know, on a one, maybe two year? Well, there's deal? only there's only one outfielder left. Uh, there's two outfielders left that are projected to be better than uh, average. So better than two wins. One is J.D. Martinez, who the Giants aren't getting him. And the other they were Lorenzo. apparently, you know, that that was an early rumor, and then it faded immediately when they realized they weren't going to put up that kind of money. Yeah, I mean, they have twelve million dollars to spend, and I don't even think they can get Lorenzo Cain for that. So now you're right; it's time to start talking about other situations. The problem is, let's say you get the best one, Jared Dyson. He's almost. Is it Gerard? Jared? I say Gerard. I don't know that it matters. Mr. Dyson. Uh, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Dyson is projected for 1.7 wins and can play center field. Ah, you've got it solved. You just paid, um, you know, $10 million, maybe three for 30 for for Dyson. Uh, you now have $2 million. And Justin's crying right now, by the way. Austin Slater and Jarrett Parker and Mac Steven Williamson Duggar. and Steven Duggar trying to trying to play left field. Oh um, dang it! Justin just relapsed. Oh my god! <laughs> we just, oh man! So he relapsed I mean, Jay based Bruce on coming this off talk. the market was tough because I bet you they offered Jay Bruce that deal, and if they had gotten Jay Bruce for that money, then they would have gotten the lineup help, the left fielder, and they could have gone along with Stephen Duggar in center, or they could have traded Stephen Duggar for Billy Hamilton or whatever it took to get Billy Hamilton. But you know, best case scenario right now is. I don't know. I guess like Hamilton and Gomez or. Uh, I like Justin's idea from a few I think weeks Kutch. ago. Pablo Sandoval in center. Let's go. Let's get it done. <laughs> <laughs> Jay Bruce would have actually been a great pickup, though, because to, he would have addressed their power. That's a guy who probably if you would talk to him and say, um, you know, are you worried about hitting for power? He, he I think he's like smart enough to be like. I understand the challenges there, but I also can hit power anywhere like he's got anywhere power. Yeah, but, you know what might be interesting is like a Howie Kendrick and Cameron Mabin situation. Okay. Do you think you could get, you know, one like Howie for like one for eight and, you know, Mabin or John Jay for one for four? Yeah. Be interesting. I think so. I think you, you might, know, I think you might have to give Mabin a little bit more than four. Oh, oh, you're, you're doing the 12. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Kendrick still hits. I mean, doesn't have any pop though. And it, it obviously would go down. There he spiked up to 475 uh, slug last year between Philly and Washington, which was yes a career high. He might skate back to the the low 400s where where he kind of has resided for most of his career in San Francisco. So I don't know what that looks like, but he would have batting average and, and OBP I would assume. So oh Justin Ooh. said he'll play left, so I think that's Jason Worth. Jason Worth is such a San Francisco signing. 
Well, I mean, I think it is kind of like Mike Morris, right? Like you just yeah. get the slugger at the very end. You give him like a minor league deal or you. And try to get something out of it. Yeah. I bet you there will be a minor league deal. There will be a minor I'm not, league deal. I'm not look even at these, a Look how many outfielders are there. <laughs> but look how many outfielders there are. You know, Michael Saunders, Nolan Reimold, blast from the past. Yeah, there's um, all these like scrubs, but they got to like, they got to hit Smith. on it too. Yeah, well, they had to get lucky. I mean, next yeah. year to, to 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 get the second wild card, they have to get lucky. But you know, with an extra signing or two, with this twelve million dollars, they can probably push it to like eighty two, eighty three wins and be you know two or three wins short of the Diamondbacks going okay, into the season. I don't season. think it's as, as bleak as some might, because I do think there's a lot of bounce backs. Like Cueto, um, if Cueto like, and this is not have crazy. Blisters. If Cueto if Cueto is anything like he used to be, yeah. All of a sudden, that rotation looks pretty good. Well, and then you're going to get, you know, here's the thing. And, and yeah, there's ifs or whatever, and you can poke holes in it. But we're we're trying to talk about the the scenario where it works. Cueto gets back to a level that, that, you know, I think it really was mostly blisters and and, and injury stuff. So if he's healthy, there's no reason you can't expect a buck 80 of a a low to mid threes ERA. Yeah. Even if Bumgarner doesn't get back under three, and just does what he did last year, 332 ERA, but does it for 210 innings. That's 100 more innings that you didn't get last year. I perhaps foolishly still believe in Jeff Samarja as something better than a 442 ERA pitcher. I'm sorry, I just look at that strikeout-to-walk ratio, and I know that sometimes we get a little too reliant on strikeout-to-walk ratio, but it's a 6.4 strikeout-to-walk ratio. Just allow a couple fewer homers, dude. God, you play in San Francisco. How are you still allowing 1.3? Shark. I know, but who's the only other guy that was like this? Ah, I remember Javier Vasquez. Yes, that's a great name, and I and I was obsessed with Javier Vasquez too, and I never got off the Javier Vasquez. One year with the Braves with a 2.87 ERA over 219 innings. I had that damn uh, season on all my teams because I stuck with it. That was one of those (laughs) I like drafting Javier Vasquez for 10 years. I got some of the good years in in Montreal, and then kept chasing that that dragon in new york arizona chicago and then in atlanta i was like yes got it and then he went back to new york and i finally jumped off and he put up a 532 javier vasquez is like my my perfect fantasy player i jumped off at, at just the right time although i did absorb the first year with the yankees when he posted a 491 which back then was really really bad no that's actually a really uh interesting comparison right down to the fact that they're both like workhorses and the one thing I do like about Samarja, even if he doesn't greatly improve on the home run rate, is that he will be a workhorse. And we don't have a lot of those anymore. And there is value in a high volume of innings, 200-plus innings with 200-plus strikeouts, which he did last year and hasn't done the previous years. But I, I think it can repeat that. And a 114 whip, yeah, the ERA is high, but you can also curate some of the bad starts out of there. Don't don't let him go to Colorado. Maybe don't let him go to Arizona. Um, I think there's a way to avoid some of the bad starts there. Too. And even just what his straight it? projection is pretty good. Three, seven, five, you know, you know, three and a half wins. That's that's a four. number three, you know? Yeah, it's so, a perfect number three. So they got they got top three there. And if I we want to talk sleeper for a second, I think Chris Stratton is a bit of a sleeper. Do tell. Well, he has a high spin fastball and a high spin curveball. And he's going to be in front of a really good uh, defensive infield. And he's projected to have a 47% ground ball rate. Longo, Crawford, and Panic. That's a good Panic, It is. That's, Panic's numbers really called it back a little bit, but he's still solid. Plus, he's at second base anyway. 
so he I, has I this agree. silly idea. I asked him, you know, you have this great curveball. Why don't you throw it more? He has a silly idea that he he wants to make sure that the relievers later can throw their junk. And what? he's like, yeah, he's like, well, yeah, because, you know, relievers like to, you know, throw curveballs more. I don't want to, you know, start too early with the curveballs. Um, I'm like, come on, dude. Uh, Just throw it. Look out for yourself, dog. Well, he's going to have a new pitching coach next year, so perhaps uh, he'll come down from the 60% uh, fastball rate. He's also tinkering with a sinker that had really good movement, but only he only threw a few of them. So and I, I think velocity didn't, didn't, you know, when you can when you go from four seamer to two seamer, get that wiggle in there without losing the velocity. It, it, it's nice, but that curveball for Chris Stratton definitely needs to be used more. Let's bring Justin in real quick. We've been, we've been referencing him. He did say he loves Stratton. I'd like to get his thoughts because Stratton is somebody that's interesting. He was a, a a decent prospect back in the day, kind of fell off as a prospect and meandered uh, his way up to the majors as a little bit of a late bloomer at age 25, but now he's going into his age 26 season. Like you said, former first round pick, Justin, what, what, what kind of expectations do you have for Chris Stratton? Well, I, I just love him at his ADP currently on a- NFBC going five five ninety three. Yeah, yeah. So true I mean, and if you look at the you know FIP and XFIP, we're virtually in line with ERA. I think he has a little bit better control than he showed last year. Uh, yeah, I was surprised to see him. his walk rates. Yeah, that was yeah. the I, I verbatim. I was surprised by it. I was like, that was not the that was the one thing I didn't really expect to see as much of because when he got to the high minors, he started to kind of cut his his walk walk rates there. But Chris Stratton, going to be age 27, should have a role. Are we looking at 160 innings? What, what's what's kind of your, uh, your your not your super aggressive best case scenario, Justin, but what's what's your, uh, this is kind of what I'm expecting if I flyer him in a 50-round draft and hold for Chris Stratton. I think 160 innings of what we saw last year, so mid-3s ERA, about eight eight strikeouts per nine, uh, and I think uh, considering where he's going, that's a, a steal. And again, just a guy that nobody is going to be touching, um, yeah. and, except and for people who are now listening to this podcast and playing. Against don't forget him. San Francisco. Like that's like we love that park. And Ooh, yeah, yeah, especially if it's if it's like weekly or something, you can shuttle him in and out and get exactly. the two starts in San Francisco or whatever. Yeah, I'm about to take Ozzy Albies in uh, my NFBC league. Where? Uh, pick one twelve. What? You know, God, I love him so hard. The top 100 piece no. today, I gave you full credit. I would have taken uh, him before that. <laughs> of course he would have. Uh, I, I, I did a piece on uh, the sneaky good fantasy uh, Atlanta Braves, and I was like, listen, you know, started raving about Albies last year, so I started watching some games. I'm fully on board. Let's Jarrell Cotton the hell out of this. <laughs> um, no, he's like... Yeah. Except that at least yes. this is like a consensus top prospect, you know, doing yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. The, the, this is definitely um, a different situation. It's not even like Ryan Healy. I'm trying to think of if we've had another guy like that, more more of like a James Paxton, a guy that did have pedigree that had hype, and we're just gonna blow that hype out of the water. Because... I'm watching the uh, I'm watching the the clip you have in there of Albie's uh, hitting a double during the triple during the players weekend. When, when yeah. you know, and just those uniforms made him look cooler. And I and watched look at the his whole hair, series. dude. It's, yes, dude. He's like on fire. He plays on fire. He's That's smart. What I'm 
and he has the good grab ball to fly ball mix, dude. He's like you na- you nailed it in terms of the, the the excitement factor too. When when you were talking about him, that was the first thing I noticed when I watched because like I knew Ozzy Albie's like you said a big time prospect. This is not some under the radar. This is not a Carson Sestouli fringe five sort of guy. Mm-hmm. This is this is somebody big, but I think he got a little bit overshadowed by by the the home run craze in general and then Ronald Acuna and his own organization and it's like oh there's yeah there's Albies but let's focus on Acuna dude let's focus on Albies that dude is a freaking beast and I'm definitely going to have shares and I really hope you and I can play some leagues together just to play chicken and see who's going to <laughs> who's uh, take, take him first, first. yeah cuz I want to steal Albies. your own guy from you Ask Albies <laughs> yeah you know took Albies at 14 overall <laughs> What do you mean? No, no. In the first round, was it keeper league? No, no, no. It was, it was a fresh start draft, and he was afraid that Justin and I were going to take him, and he took him as the 14th overall pick. <laughs> but no, I really do. I really do like Albies. Anyway, off track what were there. We, talking about? <laughs> we were talking about McCutcheon and the Giants. Let me wrap it up on this with with Pittsburgh. Between Cole and McCutcheon, Cole, McCutcheon, or both, who gets traded? What's what's your what's your bottom line here? Well, I, I put in my chat today around uh, two-thirds, around 70% for each of them. Okay. Uh, Cole, Kutch, and Harrison. But, of course, that means for all of them, it's only like 35%. And I think that's mostly because Harrison, I'm just not sure what kind of value Harrison has. I mean, maybe the Mets want him, but at this point, the salary's up, and he had the big boost in in, in home runs. Hard to note if you believe in it or not. I believe in it personally because he changed his ground ball fly ball mix along with it. But I've, I've uh, always liked Josh Harrison, but I, I don't know that he would have a great value in the market right now, especially with so many guys available. I don't know that there's necessarily uh, dead even comps for Harrison out there, but sign Neil Walker for not I, much. Walker yeah. was the exact guy I was thinking of. And then um, Eduardo Nunez is even yeah. more of a version of him because he's just right handed, whereas Walker is um, is a switch hitter. You know, Kendrick, a guy you brought up earlier, doesn't he kind of cut the same statistical profile similar to, to what Harrison would give? So Kendrick I don't know time. that they can get a lot because I think teams would just say, you know what, we can go out in the market. Maybe, you, Yeah, and maybe you hold him and play him all over the diamond and then sell him as Nunez, basically, as a, as, at the, yep. the deadline. Who who Thank got you. hurt? Who, who had a third baseman or second baseman that got hurt and is going to the playoffs, you know? Wait until there's more of a need because right now I think teams feel like they can they can have their Josh Harrison off the market or even in a smaller trade as opposed to paying for somebody with a little bit of name value. Breaking news from Justin, it looks like the Pirates are going to trade the Clemente statue. They're, they're in talks to trade the Clemente statue uh, over to the Tigers. Don't know why the Tigers are getting it, but they've got some cool statues out in, in center field, so uh, you know, they could be adding another one. I don't think Kutch will actually get hurt that much by a move to San Francisco. I wouldn't necessarily project him to hit anything close to 28 homers again. He's been mostly kind of like a 20 to 25 homer guy. And uh, right there for right-handers, basically San Francisco and and Pittsburgh are about the same for for home runs. So, you know, I I think, uh, you know. He hit 19 on the road last year. 19 homers on the road last year? Yeah, 19 of his 28. I think he can hit 19 of. Uh, I think he can hit 15 of 25 on the road again. Um, I and, agree. Uh, something like that. I think he can hit 275, 280 uh, with a great OBP. He's not going to steal many bases, so he's comfortably now kind of like a second, third outfielder because he maybe a second outfielder because he's not going to be. He, 
he has OBP leagues. He's he's obviously um, probably a first outfielder because he is going to have a good OBP. Always. Yeah, McCutcheon's always going to have good OBP. Maybe if he got traded out to San Francisco, it would artificially deflate his price because people would be so afraid of that park, not realizing that PNC. Of course, we we, we realize that it's a, a uh, pitcher's park as well, but I know San Francisco has a sharper perception in the market for sapping offense, and I, I wonder if McCutcheon getting traded out there would push him down maybe a round, yeah, uh, if not more, and then there'd be a buying opportunity. Could be true for Longo, too. I mean, Longo and him— as right-handers coming from parks that are so close to AT&T for right-handed power, yep. Um, I think they might lose a homer or two, basically, from their true talent projection. So, you know, Longo and Kutch, I don't think, if they were both Giants, I don't think I'd uh, I'd really downgrade them that much. I like it. Wrap, put a bow on that move on. We actually did get some moves. We, we hinted at one of them earlier, Jay Bruce. We'll get to that in a moment. But the big move that, before that and, and the rumors with the Pirates – the biggest move for like a two, three week period was Wade Davis out to Colorado, which is a big move. You know, he's a big time uh, closer and, and now looks like he's going to assume that role in Colorado. When they signed Jake McGee, there were some rumors that they were going to they were they were kind of packaging that with bringing Greg Holland back right away, too. Well, that hasn't happened. And now that's not going to happen. I assume Wade Davis fills that that uh, that role there, takes the closers job. And now they've got a really deep bullpen out in Colorado. But from a fantasy perspective, how do you like Wade Davis as a Rockies closer? You know, this team definitely succeeded last year because of their bullpen. And I don't hate the whole, from a real-life baseball perspective, I do not hate the whole idea of putting a ton of money into the bullpen in Colorado. Because, especially a, Colorado, yeah. Yes, especially Colorado. Uh, especially Colorado, especially Colorado because of the way Colorado plays, but also especially Colorado because they have decent starting pitching right now. That's they're never the going to they're never going to sign starting pitching. No one's ever going to like Brandon McCarthy. I will be talking about, you know, cutter grips and Brandon McCarthy will just be like Colorado sucks. Yeah, he just well, he has like Tourette's like about Tourette. it, right? Yeah, yeah. He has PTSD <laughs> just from the outings that he's gone there, where uh, no no chance, and and you know they're not going to attract the top top guy because they would probably have to pay extra. But then even the the mid level guys, Brandon McCarthy had his Nobody best. Nobody wants to go on a pillow to Colorado. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that, that, Colorado. Again, that's a pillow filled with bricks. <laughs> no one's trying to sleep on that pillow. But they have they've got a lot of homegrown talent that's coming through. John Gray's obviously out front there, but then. Jeff Hoffman, Jermaine Marquez, uh, Cal Freeland, Antonio Senzatella. They've got guys who they can consistently, Tyler Anderson, consistently go out there and get five to six innings from uh, much more confidently than they've ever had in the past, especially because they have a group of guys. At times, they would have one pop-up here and there that that was reliable. You know, Of course, Ubaldo came from there. Ulysse Chassin had some success out there, and, and a couple other guys would pop up, like I said, here and there. But now they have a consistent set of guys that they can rely on to go out, give them quality innings, get to the bullpen. And now that bullpen is super deep in the days they don't have it or that the hits are just really dinking in on them. Maybe you go four innings, but you're not crushed because they have five, six, seven relievers that they can confident, re- confidently rely on from the right and left side on the right side. They got Wade Davis, Brian Shaw, Adam Adovino on the left side. They've got Jake McGee, Chris Russin, uh, Mike Dunn, and that's just at the the front end. There, you, you also have Scott Oberg and Zach Roscup at the very back end, and they're even capable guys. So this bullpen runs super deep from the right and left side. Yeah, and 
you know, uh, from a team building perspective, you know, as bad it is for pitchers on pillow contracts, you'll always get a Mark Reynolds. So, you know, you can go get you can go get a Mark Reynolds um, to to fill your lineup needs. So where do you spend the money? You spend it on the bullpen. And what's great about this? They're all on three year deals. I don't know why people hate these. They're all on three year deals. Let's say next year doesn't work out. You decide, was it an existential not working out or was it just John Gray got hurt again and we couldn't we couldn't make it, right? So then you say, okay, we'll go into year two, we'll spend a little money here or there, and we'll, and we'll decide in year two if this is bad. In year two, if this is bad, you only have one more year to swallow. You could swallow it on Jake McGee and be like, we're just going to release you. You have no value, like you got hurt or whatever. Uh, and they probably Brian aren't Shaw. all failing. You could trade one and or two. And then you trade the them. other ones in a market yeah. that wants relievers. Everybody wants relievers, especially at the deadline. So I, I don't – I think they did uh, – I think it was a great strategy. I think okay. – I'm not sure that I want to own these guys in fantasy. Uh, back to bring it back to where our listeners come from. Uh, Wade Davis was used really heavily by the Cubs and looked not so great, I think. Yeah, he always felt shaky, right? Even throughout the year when when he was pitching at his best and and putting up some really strong numbers, it always felt like it was wobbly. Whereas in in the past three years before that, Wade Davis was one of the most locked down, confident guys you could have until he started getting hurt in 2016. But even his numbers that year, 187 ERA, uh, 113 whip. But the two years before that, the dude was untouchable. Now, the one thing about Wade Davis that uh, if he can continue to do it, Home run suppression has been kind of his calling card since he's become a stud reliever. Yeah. If he can keep the homers in check in Air, uh, in Colorado and Arizona, I guess, but uh, in Colorado specifically, and not you know see his hits really spike, I, I think we could see some here. His, his strikeouts did spike back up last year from nine eight to twelve twelve point one, and so obviously you want to miss bats. Contact is very bad in Colorado. Yeah, I'm just saying from an injury perspective, I'm a little bit worried that that's the biggest concern. He was he he used so heavily. He's had the injury past. Um, You know, I don't know. I don't know that I in a 12 team league that I would go that I would fade him and also get his backup. It's not that kind of situation. It's not like a a foobar pen where, you know, this guy's going to running away and then saying, let me get some McGee shares or or Josh. I I think Adovino would would jump ahead of him. I think Adovino is going to have a better year next year. I talked to him in in depth about it at the end of the season. And the main thing that happened was he said that there's a tipping point. It's very interesting. He said there's a tipping point when it comes to walks. He said, you know, early he could be really aggressive with his pitches. And everybody said, I have to swing against Ottavino because I really don't want to get to two strikes and then have him throw that Frisbee at me. Oh. Right. But he said that. He's talking about this on MLB Network, too. Did he? Yeah, yeah. When he was on MLB Now. So continue because he was oh, very candid about it. Yeah. And then he said that when he started to fall behind, the, the hitters came to play with a totally different mindset, which was, I'm not going to swing early. Yep. They would be- not swing. Because I'm not going to swing early because he can't throw strikes. And he says he has to throw enough strikes uh, to basically uh, to to get hitters thinking again that they have to swing early. And then he can throw the Frisbee and get strikeouts. So, you know, I think that – and he spent – he's went to driveline this offseason. He did. He was the one who took the picture of Timmy. Yeah, he took the Tim picture Lutzcom. of Timmy uh, And uh, got the <laughs> – he probably got them in a little trouble. But uh, uh, Ottavino also uh, – what he was doing there – was developing a pitch uh, that he could throw for strikes uh, reliably. That, you know, something 
either breaking or sinker, some some new pitch uh, in between what he has already that he could that he could pitch throw for strikes. So, you know, I, we know he has the big frisbee. We know he has good velocity. So if he does develop something this offseason that helps him with the strike throwing ability, there's he's I think he's an obvious uh, backup because Brian Shaw's had a lot of chances. He has a, a high velocity cutter that looks really nice, but it's just not a closer. I don't know no, why. No, no team believes it. It's kind of a Luke Gregerson thing to me. Maybe and I know Luke Gregerson got some chances or something or something. I don't know. But yeah, he just doesn't ever really Although get the strikeout shot. rate is not for a reliever. It's not amazing. Didn't it jump this past year though for Shaw? So we'll see if he can keep those gains. I think he, I think he boosted his strikeout rate a bit this year, but, but even still it was under one per inning. Like, yeah. Oh no, never mind. He, it, it boosted last year in 2016. It went from seven mid sevens to 9.3 for Brian Shaw. And then this year back down to 8.6. He's just but not Adovino a strikeout has, guy. Adovino has had better strikeout years. Yeah. I, I like out as if it, if, if it's a righty that's second in command, it's out Otherwise I think it's McGee. Yeah. I think, I think it is a stay away pen altogether though for fantasy because it's just hard. Their babbits are going to be high. You know, that's the worst part. Although I will say this, the closer pool is very difficult right now in early drafts. There's a lot of uh, unsettled uh, positions back there, and of course that adds to it. But I think even in in spring, once we start to get some some answers on exactly who the guy is, you know, if we uh, guaranteed that Blake Trinan's the guy and Hector Neris is the guy and Arodis Viscano, even as we get some stability there, I still think it's a really really volatile market. One of the uh, most volatile reliever markets that we've seen going into a season. In recent years, so I'll be interested in how it plays out. Especially since um, there's some sort of injury with uh, to a lot of the top end guys, because yep. I always want to kind of you know get someone in the top tier because I don't want to be spending my my draft trying to find you know Hector Neris three times over. Or the uh, my my free agent resources because everyone underrates that aspect when they say, "Well, I'll get saves off the wire." Yes, but you, it takes resources. It takes your fab. Yeah, uh, in most leagues that have a limited. I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of those guys are are churn and burn because I've spent a lot of time picking up a closer and being like, oh, this guy's the closer, and then like two weeks later, I'm like, and I hate doing that. And yeah. so I like to get a top a, a but, top guy and a nice solid mid guy. Look at the look at the top end. So Kenley Jansen was just used more than any any him and Brandon Moore were just used more than anybody in history in terms of how often and with as few rest and just how often how many pitches they were used they were used really really hard in this postseason I don't think Kenley's this super uh, unquestioned automatic like he's the top automatic guy like he's automatically the number one guy but I think even that has some volatility to it yeah. Just because of these workloads. Now, one thing I mean, that might happen. Remember, Chapman got used really hard. Exactly. And, and then he, and these guys he had keep, a bad year with some injuries. They keep going to these postseasons and having these big workloads, which I like. I like that the teams are doing that. They're utilizing their best guys. But it could mean one of two things. It could either mean a backslide the following year, which we didn't see when he had a when when Kenley Jansen went deep in the playoffs in 16, and he was excellent this past year. So it's not like he a guarantee. He was used harder this last year, but he was definitely used harder. So they either he might either have a performance decline going into his age 30 season, his ninth year, or a volume decline. Maybe the Dodgers themselves start to back him off in the regular season, 60 innings. As yeah. opposed to the 70 innings or 55 innings, so you and lose out you, a little bit there. I think you could you could turn your sort of stinky eye on any of these guys. We're all just Chapman. 
just had a bad uh, half season, has had injury concerns, uh, made it to the postseason. Ken Giles seemed like he, he was about the job to get every five seconds. Yeah, he seemed like he was about to be replaced in the postseason. There were times. He was. When, yeah, there were times when they didn't even go to him. Yeah, they went away from. Him. I, I agree. Everyone has it. Corey Knebel Kenley only Jansen. did it one year. Five. Corey Knebel first. I think I would end up uh, with Corey Knebel in in a lot of leagues in mixed leagues. Kimbrel uh, looks like the one. the. Uh, how do you poke holes in Kimbrel? He looks like the one who has pretty. Then do do little. Uh, do little uh, has been hurt in the past. Has had shoulder issues in the past. Yeah, and I think Kimbrel. Someone in. Kimbrel's been good. He had the bad, you know, sort of walk blip, but. Um, yeah, I think Kimbrel, Kimbrel and Knievel, um, depending on how how much I have to spend to get them, I like those two. Justin Davis brings up a good injury. point. Who is the Diamondbacks' closer? Yeah, is uh, it Bradley? Are they going to go Boxberger and make Bradley more of the? They can they can phrase it as they want him to be this new fireman type or or new old fireman type because we had those back in the day. Uh, they could phrase it like that, but while also being sneaky on arbitration. Arbitration, yeah. arbitration, keeping, sweet, sweep, keeping Archie Bradley down. Yeah, keeping his his, his think, saves down a little bit. Uh, by the way, I want to bring up one thing. Cardinals. Justin brings up a good point on uh, the the whole saves thing too. About I'll get him off the wire. Even p- people that have closers are still vying for those new closers right. that pop up. It's not just relegated to those yeah. who are struggling yeah. for saves. So it's a big outlay of resources in season to even keep up with it. So I, uh, I I do I do worry about that. What were you saying about San Francisco? Who's going to be well, the guy? I think, I think Holland's going to uh, sign with the Cardinals, but okay. he's a walking injury risk. Um, middle 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 tier guy with the other injury risk. Edwin Diaz, I think, is sort of in that Knievel territory where you know he did lose it for a little bit, but he does but, have but a lot of strikeouts. But there's no one to really give it to either. And they so tried to give it to people. I mean, the Cosby yes. is there now, so. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a good one, though. That's a sneaky. He's really good in the bullpen. Um, there was going to be, oh, Roberto Osuna had the little thing where, you know, they, mm-hmm. they're talking about he had some anxiety issues, but it didn't really seem to manifest itself in performance. He still had a really good season and he's young. How do you feel about Roberto Osuna as a frontliner? Mm. That's, that's, a, I, I, mean, I think I like that's it. A, I think I like it. It's not, you know, he might not get the most, um, you may not get the most opportunities if it's not a great team and the bullpen around him is not great. That's the two things that sort of uh, relate to straight save opportunities. But I think Certainly. he'll be, he'll, you know, there's not a lot. There's not a guy about to take the job from him, and um, he's he's a good reliever. Uh, like a guy like Brad Hand in San Diego, no one's going to take the job from him except a trade. Yeah, we got to make sure that he's getting the job and not getting dealt. I agree with that. So I but like Barrow. I was just about to bring him up. He's actually my I favorite think he makes it through closer the season because he's just there's too many years of control left still. Um, I think he makes it through the season. Felipe Rivero is my favorite closer right now because he's right in that. He's not super cheap or anything. He's definitely up near the top, but he's not at the tip top. And I do think he can be a tip top sort of guy. Now, the one th- thing I do worry about is last year when Felipe Rivero was getting the job, they had other lefties that they could go to in the bullpen. I I, I want to see at least one reliable lefty in a bullpen when it's the lefty closer or else teams can venture towards saying, let's give it to a righty so that we have that lefty for the key uh, you know, the key at bat against Bryce Harper in the seventh inning of the game as opposed to the ninth. And they don't have that guy right now. Roster Resource has Nick Turley as the only other lefty in their bullpen. And I'm not even sure Jack he's a Levinson, waiver claim. Maybe? 
yeah, Leather Stitch maybe coming up, but they had Tony Watson last year, so that was interesting. Yeah. And and Justin notes, of course, that they could trade him. He's going into his age 27 season. Uh, Rivera was so if they do more of a teardown as opposed to a retool, uh, Rivera would definitely bring in. Uh, a big time return, yeah. especially in season. But I, I do like him. Uh, Rysel Iglesias, I think, is pretty solid. They are really good about giving him the extra innings too, and using him as as a multi inning sort of guy. Maybe more of a uh, maybe more of a, a risk to be traded though, because he's been bandied about all year. For sure, he always seems to be discussed, and he's going to be age twenty eight. Although I will say they have years of several years of control on him at really cheap until 2022. They can so, still outline yeah, that's, a that's plan. Pretty decent. And I, I, you know, that's that we're sort of, we're, we're circling the guys I like Felipe Rivero, Edwin Diaz, Roberto Asuna, Corey Kniebel. They're not, uh, they're sort of that in the middle there. Uh, hopefully in price price, you can get one or like, it'd be great to get two of those guys. I agree. That's the, that's the pool I'm, I'm working in. I'm still interested in your boy, Blake Trinan. Um, I, I, a, it's hard to quit final because, pick. As a final yeah, yeah. pick. I mean, they're not going to give that job to Santiago Garcia. Liam Hendricks is, you know, Emilio Pagan may take the job if training is bad or hurt. But, tra- but training was really good with Oakland last year. He goes out there for 38 innings, 213 ERA, 116 whip, 10 strikeouts per nine. Uh, the walks were under three. I mean, everything looked really good. And then uh, Nick Pollock of Pitcher List and, of course, uh, Fangraphs as well posted this top 150 pitches of, of the 2017 season and Blake Trina was in there like 15 times. And I was just like, Oh my God, that no wonder, Eno loves this guy. Like his stuff is so sexy when it's on, but commanding yeah. is difficult because it is so, so filthy, but I think he's going to get the job. I like him as uh, ideally as a closer three in shallower leagues, but he can also be my number two guy. If I, if I get, you know, if I get Rivero or or uh, an Iglesias, Cody Allen's type up up front, and then I wait, and and Trinan's my number two guy. Yeah, I'm a little light, but I I don't hate that setup. I forget what we were talking about originally. We're talking about closers. Uh, oh, way down. Yeah, but, so we'll oh, do a full down. closer okay. episode soon where we just go over every team and really kind of break it down. We'll wait for a little bit more to get uh, stabilized. Let's move on to Jay Bruce back out to the Mets uh, on a, on a on a deal. I'm pulling up the terms of that deal. I didn't write it down. It three is three for thirty-nine. There you go. Three for thirty-nine. Jay Bruce, um, obviously, was with the Mets. Left to get traded. Goes back. What do you think about this for the Mets? Yeah, you know, uh, when you're three years, it's sort of like the reliever deals. When you when it's only three years, it's hard to get that mad about it. It may be a tiny bit underwater, at least by projections. Projections only have them for a win. Um, you know, because his defense is bad and his base running is bad and they regress his his offense. But, you know, the two really bad years for his offense, his knee was hurt. And yeah, his if, base was totally effed. Yeah. And if you if you look away from those, um, he's been a comfortably above 10 for 10 percent above league average with a stick. And then last year he hit the most fly balls of his career. So I think uh, I think, you know, 30 home runs is likely. I think the the regressing him back to those knee years is is a little bit of a folly. So I'll give him 30 home runs, 250 average, just like he does every year, and probably worth just about as much as his contract. Probably gives him four wins, you know, for in three years. Ends up as their backup first baseman in the last year of the deal, maybe to Dom Smith. You know, he's gonna this year. You know, the big question I think that's most interesting for him is how he fits in. And one thing we have to admit, Michael Conforto. The team already said he's not going to be ready for the beginning of the season. 
Wait, so, say that last part. I'm sorry, Conforto's not going to be ready. Not be ready for the beginning of the season. So was, opening opening day, your lineup is going to be aggressive on, on him. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty bad injury for pitchers. It's it, re- it can like end a career, but for yeah, a hitter, really was, he, he can was, come back. I was so surprised though that like the early winter drafts were pretending like Conforto wasn't hurt, and I that didn't make any sense to me. And now we're seeing that yeah, he's not going to be ready for the start of the season. Like this is a really severe injury, um, and I'm worried about Conforto there. So they're going to go. Cespedes, Bruce, um, Nimmo. Yeah, I think Lagaris. I mean, the problem, the only problem with Nimmo and Lagaris is they're both they're both uh, right-handers. I think. No, Nimmo's a lefty. Oh, good. Yeah, so Nimmo, most likely Nimmo uh, opening day. You do a Nimmo Lagaris uh, platoon in center field. I think uh, Nimmo is actually an interesting player, especially for OBP leagues. He has Votto-like swing rates. You know, real low swing rates. I think he can keep a high OBP. I think he can be an on-base uh, guy for them, leadoff hitter. So you're talking about good runs and RBI. Uh, if he does all those things, Nimmo can actually push uh, Ligaris into backup defensive outfielder mode and and take that job for and run with it. And it's not impossible that you what you do is um, you have Dom Smith come up, and opening day it's Dom Smith at first, Bruce, Nimmo, uh, yo, and then what happens is that uh, either Dom Smith d- struggles, you know, uh, and gets sent back down to to work on his his game, and Bruce becomes the first baseman. Uh, Nimmo struggles, and Conforto comes back, and they play him in center. So there's a lot of ways that Bruce actually fits this team, and and helps them give them options. You know, Yo gets hurt a lot. Yo gets hurt. Um, you know, Nimmo plays in the left. I would give Nimmo his his projections on the fan graphs are for 500 plate appearances, 560 plate appearances. I'll give him mm-hmm. that. Yeah, I'll give him do, that. Do you think he can it'd be a fantasy asset? By the way, Justin gives us some ADPs Conforto, 145 average draft position, Bruce, 172, Nimmo, 510. Do you like Nimmo as, as your last pick sort of flyer for 550 plate appearances? Like what? What can you expect out of that? Is it in an be... OBP league? I like him. I like him okay. because I, I think Big Walker. You know, he's it's not the 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 ground ball rate's not so bad that he won't ever hit for power. You know, it's not like three grounders per fly ball. Yeah, it's like low forties yeah. for ground ball rate. So he can still have a, a low thirties fly ball rate, which is fine. It's not going to be the most powerful um, for you know. It's not the best for home runs, but it's not going to relegate him to hitting two homers. Right. So, you know, could he be like a two, like projections are close 240, 12, five. Could he be like 250, 260, uh, 15, seven, 15, 10? Like, I think he could do a lot of those things. Um, and, uh, his, his OBP will be good. So in OBP leagues, yes, I'm, I'm into Nemo in, uh, batting average leagues, you know, 15 team, fifth outfielder, uh, NL only outfielder. Yeah. Those, those teams, I like him too. I like it. Okay, sounds good. Uh, let's move on to a smaller move. Young Gervis Solarte over to Toronto. You wrote about this, uh, so I, thought, I found it a little bit interesting that you were writing about it. The the, the Blue Jays are 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 they the are they the giants of the American League where they're kind of in limbo of like, yo, we've got enough talent where maybe we could rally and things could really really break right if you start piling up the ifs. 
or we got Terrence. I mean, they have better prospects, right? So that that's where they really differ is that they've got two super frontline prospects in Vlad Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette. But what what's their outlook look like? And what does this uh, young Gervis Solarte move mean for the Blue Jays? You know, hopefully he doesn't actually start for them a lot. I mean, he's an okay guy, but it's I think as a starter, he's a little bit stretched. Maybe the change in parks is, um, you know, that big. It, it, it is that big that he could be an okay uh, second baseman. Devon Travis's knee. I'm, I'm not. These are unorganized thoughts, I know. But De- Devon Travis's knee it seems like a big deal. I was in the in the ball in the in the clubhouse the day he found out about it, and uh, Kendrys Morales was like hugging him, and he seems really sad about it. And um, you know, they're talking about different. They were talking about different surgeries and stuff. So, you know, he could be their starting second baseman. He could mm-hmm. be their post Josh Donaldson third baseman. See, that's what everyone was hoping for. Was that it set up a deal? to to then move uh josh donaldson of course of course that's how baseball fans think though immediately they're like oh yeah that means we're gonna get another huge trade and it's like well not necessarily but it could open that it could be setting that up for them to more comfortably deal uh josh donaldson because they they you know they can kind of they have made moves around it to where they can still feel the competitive team and rebuild. What do you think they should do? Do you think this team should tear down the, the, the Jays and, and start over or they should retool or what, where, where should they position themselves? Uh, they're kind of stuck. I mean, it, what's interesting what makes them stuck is that they have such great prospects in Bo Bichette and uh, Vlad Jr. coming up. And they're so close, I think in some ways that, you know, a full rebuild doesn't make sense because those guys might be up. I mean, September, you know, but yeah, later this year, that's not impossible. So what if Donaldson rakes Aaron Sanchez comes back and is great. And all of a sudden you have a legit one, two, and they're playing well. And maybe the two wild cards both come out of the AL East. Not impossible. And Tasker Hernandez hits 40 homers. I love yeah, Tasker Tiasco Hernandez. Hernandez is projected into 32, you know? <laughs> so, uh, you know, maybe a lot of these things happen quicker than they think. And, um, and then you're buying instead of selling. I mean, you know, you could you could you could get in a little trouble like Milwaukee did. Um, you know, True. Milwaukee bought when should they have sold? I don't know. Um, but at the same time, I don't think that it makes a lot of sense to tear it all down when Vlad Jr. is right around the corner. So I agree with that. The one thing that is worrisome, though, is is that bullpen. As you mentioned, when we were talking about Osuna, you're like, well, what's the bullpen to get there? And that is definitely up in the air. And I wonder why they didn't get in on some of these bullpen guys that were out there. Yeah, they're like a little bit expensive uh, because they're because, because they're good, though. So maybe there's some other guys that they're eyeing, some smaller guys that they can fill in so that they're not relying on like a Dominic Leone or whatever the hell Carlos Ramirez is, Danny Barnes. These are fake players. These are Tom Murphy's brothers. Like, who are these guys? There's nobody named Danny Barnes. That's not a real guy. Drafted in the 35th round. There's no 35th round of the Major League Baseball. Come on. This is, oh, never mind. He was drafted 35th in round 10. Oh, wait, no, no. It was 35th round of 2010. I'm stupid. Let's move on and talk about something else. <laughs> Sorry, well, that was I think... a rant on the shitty relievers in Toronto. <laughs> but Solarte... But Solarte, you know, I think as it is, it's a little hard to uh, really. I mean, I don't know what league I'd really want him in right now, except for maybe AL only, like Util. 
Yeah. Because he'll have some uh, he'll have some eligibilities that you can move him around. Yeah, um, I like that. And 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 I think that there's some upside too because you, like going into the season, all the depth charts would probably have Devon Travis up there as the starter, LOL. and and say he's going to be the starter and give him whatever 400, 500 player appearances. But there's also this other possibility that this knee injury is really bad, and you know he doesn't come back this year. He comes back way later. Um, and then maybe the team is bad and all of a sudden Solarte has like, you know, 500 plate appearances and 18 homers and a 275 batting average again. So, um, you know, th- those things are possible. And it's always nice to have uh, a multi-util guy, uh, as Justin Mason points out, second, short and third in, in AL onlys. It's really nice to have that guy in, in certain AL onlys. You can't you can only. um uh, you you it'd be great to have him in like reserve because in certain AL onlys you can only move a guy in and out of your bench because of injury uh, or demotion, right? Yeah, because of injury or demotion. Uh, but if you put them in reserve and they're like a zero dollar player, basically, this is labor rules. Uh, then you can put them in your lineup and put them on your bench. So uh, like a multi eligible guy like that in, in reserve would be amazing. Because then, if one of your guys gets hurt, you move uh, you move Solarte in uh, to a place that you need him just for a week or two, and then you put him back on your bench. Yeah, that's I love the flexible guys, especially in ALNL, uh, be, be, because of the flexibility that they offer. They they open you up to getting more uh, free agents because you can maneuver guys around. There's nothing worse than having the hot free agent of the week not fit on your team. In like an ALN only, especially because those wires are generally pretty sparse. So when you have somebody like a Solarte that you can maneuver, uh, it really helps. So I, I I love guys like that, and I especially love them in AL only. Uh, for mixed, Justin points out that he's going on an average draft position of 282. So he's not really costing you much. A late round gamble, draft and hold, also a similar sort of deal where that flexibility really helps not so much to uh, avail you to free agents because it's draft and hold. There are no free agents, but to make sure that you're always able to use your best players. Another situation that you can run into in draft and hold is you have like an extra outfielder, but there's no way to get them in your lineup without sitting somebody who's just as good, uh, if not better. So having flexibility really helps. So I like Solarte. Uh, I, I didn't think it was a bad move. Uh, going to that park could help too. You know, it's a little bit of a better hitters park for Solarte. So we'll keep an eye on Toronto. Uh, the last thing we got to talk about a little bit, you know, off the field sort of thing, but it, we're going to talk about the the potential on the field effects of it, not to minimize anything about off the field with Miguel Sano and these uh, sexual assault allegations that that are being investigated. Um, you know, we it's been written about and, and, and discussed, and obviously as more details come out, we will discuss it further as far as how that situation plays out. But I am going to turn it to the fantasy side uh, since that's what we're talking about here and, and get your assessment of Miguel Sano as this kind of hangs in the balance. And and he'll he'll probably face a suspension, and, and of course he should with the, with if the details come out that, that he, of course, committed this. How are you approaching Miguel Sano in drafts right now, you know? Because he's a high-round pick. And, you know, again, I, I just want to be clear. I'm not saying this to minimize any of the importance of that stuff. I'm saying this is a repercussion of potentially being a shitty person. So we're just dealing with the ramifications of it, not saying, like, this is the only thing that matters. Oh, he might have assaulted somebody, but let's talk about, you know. So I just want to make sure that we're, we're – we're 
balance there and acknowledging that it's terrible. But then it yeah. does have this impact here as a guy who's going in the top 80 picks. Yeah, and, uh, and you know, we're used to uh, drafting a lot of scumbags. Yeah, uh, sadly, we've done we it, are. done it in the past. Uh, you know, I, I see it as uh, just adding a little bit to already existing risk. Um, he, he hasn't cleared 500 plate appearances in a, sin- a single season uh, the last two years, and his max... Is well, he, he kind of he did six ten in twenty fifteen, so he had a he's he had a decent year in twenty fifteen, but he's kind of had these nagging injuries, so uh, well, kind of hard too. to take the depth charts, you know, projection of five hundred ninety five plate appearances and run to the bank with it. I guess. Here's the thing too, his max pick uh, right now in NFBC for Miguel Sano is one fourteen, and I don't think I would take him at that pick. That that's the latest he's gone is 114, and that's where uh, Jake Lamb is going uh, on the dot. He's 114. Uh, five. <laughs> Justin Mason just Joe took Ozzy Albies there. <laughs> yeah, Ozzy Albies just went yeah, there. The problem I, I is that even when he's good, is that the skill set is kind of not in demand right now. You know, it's findable, right? Look, we just said that Jay Bruce is going to hit 250 with 30 home runs. And what was the his projection? ADP? 172. The, the, what's his 172? Yeah. And the projection for Miguel Sano is 250 with 35 homers, and we're saying he might not get to 500 games, 600, 600 plate that plate appearance total because of his issues and because of his injuries. So, if he's, you know, three homers better than Jay Bruce, and goes 60 uh, picks earlier, it's just not that much of a value. No, and yeah, even I, though he plays. I understand he plays third base, but sure. But I, but third base has depth. Like I said, the, the, the guy's going at his doing league. a lot of research this this offseason about how, you know, position things are overvalued. Yeah, exactly. And the guy's going at his worst pick right now or Jake Lamb, Joey Gallo, Raphael Devers, Kyle Seager. They're all going at or later than than Sano's worst pick. I think he's a total stay away. Uh, I wasn't super geeked on him before this stuff because of the injury concern, but yeah, he's got to get he's gonna get his life right uh, on, on this off the field stuff too, uh, as they kind of figure out what's going to be the the appropriate punishment for it and all. So, I would recommend a, a, a stay away with, with such uncertainty. You know, if there is something that comes out and it's like okay, it's a it's a two week suspension or it's a one month, we can pinpoint it a little bit more. But I think right now. I can't I can't figure out any reason to uh, to really draft him um, and, and just kind of let that situation play out. Hopefully justice is served and, and you know, everything comes to to the quote unquote appropriate conclusion. But and I'm not even pre- trying to pretend like I'm taking a, the moral stand. You, like you said earlier, we've all drafted scumbags uh, either unwittingly or, or or knowingly after, you know, the sentence is served or whatever. But. I think on this situation, you just back off from Sano for any number of reasons. Um, if, he, if he starts going down to like 150, 170, sure, you know, he's not if he going. goes to the same level as Jay Bruce, then you take Sano because maybe he does get 600 plate appearances and he's younger and, you know, he probably has more power and, you know, all those reasons. Sure, there, there's a path, but right now it looks like the market is is eager or not eager. I don't want. I don't want to say that. But like, doesn't look like the market is is necessarily running away from him at, at pick one fourteen on the low end. So, um, 
unless there's any breaking news, I think that's going to end it there. Uh, sorry to end on the, on the on the somber note there, but I just wanted to bring that up. Didn't want to completely ignore the fact that that this situation's happening there with Miguel Sano uh, and the Twins. Maybe they'll uh, maybe they'll sign you Darvish to kind of counterbalance that and. And, and inject some positive news into their situation. Did you see that thing with you, Darvish, by the way, where um, somebody tweeted out the teams that were in on you, Darvish, and he replied to it saying, I also know of one more. Was that? Did you see the you, Darvish thing yesterday where he. Oh, yeah, I think it's the Dodgers. The Dodgers okay. weren't listed. So it's like yeah. Dodgers, Twins, Great. Rangers. It was Rangers, Yankees, Cubs, Astros, and Twins. And he goes, I know one more team is in. I just loved that he did that. <laughs> that he was like, ah, you're close, but there's one more that I'm, I'm well aware of. Yeah, like he also, uh, the other guy, the, there was another guy who announced that, you know, he'd signed with the Cubs. And he's like, um, no, I haven't. <laughs> no, 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 I can, I can do that. What are you talking about me for when it's not true? I love you, Darvish, man. I really hope uh, that that wor- those bad World Series honestly, I don't think they are going to wreck him. He just doesn't strike me as as that kind of guy. Um, but where do you think he's going to go? We can end on on that. Where 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 do you think Darvish is going to go? You know the numbers aren't. Um... Like he's not asking. It's like the most recent number I saw was like five one twenty five or something. Um, that's worth paying. No, he's got he's he's got his issues, but he's you don't want to go six. I think I'm a little bit worried because the next TJ for him is is a really bad one. Exactly that that can be kind of not necessarily the career ender, but the career alterer. That that you know happens in the early 30s if it happens and and it can be really really damaging. You know he only has one 200 inning season, um, sub 150 in two of the last three seasons going into his age 31 season, but still devastating when he's on. You know even in that playoff, what's forgotten is that he was having a brilliant playoff until the World Series, and then had those those two disaster outings. But I I still like I still like you, Darvish. Oh whoa 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 we got major breaking news. We might have to expand the podcast by another hour. From our producer, Justin Mason, James McCann and the Tigers agree on arbitration. Hot Stove 2018. Get lit. That's the that's the hashtag. Get lit. Because the hot stove is so... It's all happening. So, okay. We will we will end on this, though. But when the hell are people going to sign, you know? This is definitely... We're not in the overreacting to saying, you know... There's a tendency to be like everything that's happening now and this year is the craziest, is the worst. I actually think, without hyperbole, that this is the craziest well, moment be, we've seen in terms of, of the, it will be one of the craziest. But I don't think it's so far gone. So 124 um, free agents have signed. I did I did the research on this. 124 free agents have signed, and there were other years where only 300 free agents signed. There was a one year with 305 free agents signed. So we may find this is that this year uh, a lot of people retire. Um, maybe Jason Worth only gets a minor league. You know, a couple other guys get minor league deals, and, and a lot of people retire. So if that happens, uh, then about sixty percent of free agents will sign after January first, and that um, the previous high was fifty-one percent. But we've had three times in the past where we've gotten over fifty percent. So. And this is only since 2000. So it's crazy, but it's also within the realm of possibility that it's just sort of normal crazy and that it's just the confluence of 
uh, the three three of the biggest teams want to stay out of luxury tax. The Giants, the Dodgers, and the Yankees not spending yep. money, basically. Plus a weak class, plus a big plus, class next year. Plus, plus a weak class, smart. plus a weak. The CBA, the, the luxury tax penalty, the n- number went up a little bit this year and goes up more next year. So people are trying to keep some money in the coffers for next year. Um, I think there's probably some ongoing stuff about um, uh, num- analytics and stuff. And, and yeah, agents, teams getting maybe, smarter about Agents falling behind. Agents, that mean agents not getting as smart as the as the teams when it comes to analytics and and negotiations and stuff. Um, and uh, uh, and then then and then also what uh, Cameron pointed out a little bit of the you know the teams uh, coalescing at the top. So there's Who? some some super teams. Dave Cameron, yeah. Who's that? <laughs> Uh, he pointed out before he left, uh, Viacom Dios. Uh, uh, congrats to Dave. Cameron. Congrats to San Diego with the Padres. That's awesome. But yeah, I mean, if you're uh, if you think that uh, you're in the division with the Yankees or the Dodgers or the Astros, um, and they're just going to be really great, and you, you don't have a chance against them, then maybe this isn't the year to, to spend a lot of money. So uh, I think I think it's a, like a confluence of a lot of things. Some of it was on purpose and you know the luxury tax the cba that stuff the mlbpa did a b- bad job negotiating that i think yeah it almost works like a cap right now right yeah it really does and then some of it is natural and some of it is cyclical so you know i think a lot of times you know that's why i preach some caution on the on the ball on the juice ball was like a lot of times there's a lot of things coming together and it's not just one thing um you know i i don't think that it's rare that you can, it, it, I think it's more often that when someone comes out with a big finding, when they're like, oh, X equals Y, I think almost always we're like, well, there's also A, B, C, D, E, you know. Yeah. Because it's just never that easy, right? There's never right. just that smoke, that perfect smoking gun on right. these factors that that fundamentally alter the, the game of baseball, right? Yeah. You know, um, I was definitely on the side that was thinking that Otani and Stanton were holding it up. Passon wrote that article. It's like, nah, it's not just that. And he was definitely right. Um, I, I, I thought that they were kind of holding the dam back. And once they got settled, it would sort of open things up. And it didn't. So definitely got that one wrong. Um, but yeah, there's there's always multiple factors. There's almost never just that singular, let's look at this factor and that just that change this entire outlook of the game. So I agree with you there. Uh, but yeah, it should be a wet and wooly final month here then with, with the guy, you know, cause I don't we think Danny Martinez is going to at least 150 free agents are still going to sign. So I think that's so, like an average of five should, per team. And some of them won't be that exciting. I mean, some of them will be, you know, a reliever that might not make the team or, you know, a little reliever for, you know, one and five or whatever. We're gonna go crazy over it. Cause we don't get any news right now that we're going to be fiending over the, the <laughs> well, dumbest of small moves. That lots of omnibus pieces were like, well, five relievers signed yesterday, so we're exactly. just going to put them all. Even though we wrote eight Garrett Cole pieces, we're going to write Darwin <laughs> Barney, you know, Escobar, and Brandon Phillips all signed today. Here's <laughs> yeah. a thousand words on that for some reason because I was really bored. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, yeah. So no, I yeah, I agree. They're not all going to be hits because there's it's just not a super deep market. But we got to get some action going soon, and it's going to really be interesting to see how this month plays out. It is still just January 11th. I know that. We're really kind of getting into full baseball mode already because we're the the hardcore. But there's a lot of folks that haven't even turned their brains on to baseball just yet as they wait for their uh, their favorite NFL team to get eliminated from the playoffs or for the Super Bowl to end. So uh, we'll be back next week talking more baseball, hopefully with some more signings. But if not, I got some stuff planned to make sure that we have stuff to talk about, even if there aren't signings 
dr uh, driving our show. It's good to talk with you again. You know, Justin, thank you so much for producing, and uh, we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. 